all know we've been in a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so John, for several weeks, has been exploring how God really desires to transform us from the inside out and to develop joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness in our lives. And I don't know about you guys, but I've noticed that the fruits of the Spirit are often quieter and grow more slowly than I would like them to. Um, and it's only through abiding in Jesus, through abiding in the vine, um, that I slowly start to notice these fruits becoming more and more evident in my life. Um, and the fruit that we're going to focus on today is the way of gentleness. So the gift or the fruit of gentleness. Um, and so as we begin, I just invite you to pray with me as we open our hearts to God's word. Jesus, we thank you, God, that you are a good father, you are a gentle father, and Lord, you desire to give us these fruits of the Spirit, to develop them in us, um, to show us how you want us to live in the kingdom of God. So we invite your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and open our hearts to your word. We pray this in your powerful and gentle name, Jesus, amen. So when I first say the word gentleness, I'm curious what comes to mind for you. What ideas or pictures do you normally think of when you think of gentleness? So the next slide, it's just a little bird, someone holding a sweet little bird. Um, so we could think of that. I'm also, I was really wrestling this week, what does our society value and does our society value gentleness? Um, and according to the dictionary, the definition of gentleness is the quality of being kind, tender, or mild-mannered. And so as Pastor John might joke, that sounds exactly like Twitter and all of our social media feeds, um, except it doesn't at all. But so gentleness is something that's important to God, but something that is really foreign in our culture, something I don't always offer to people, something I don't always experience. And I don't often see gentleness modeled on my TV screen, on social media, in my home, in my heart. And gentle people aren't often the ones I think of as the people that we celebrate in our culture, the people that we want to emulate. And why is that? Why is gentleness not something that our society honors or celebrates? I think that might be because in our culture, Gentleness is often synonymous with powerlessness, weakness, or potentially even associated with being a doormat or a pushover. And one question I was really wrestling with God with this week is, with this fruit of gentleness, is there room for righteous anger? Is there room um, for anger at injustice? And so we're going to get more to that later, um, but that's one thing I really wrestled with God with about gentleness this week. And I also noticed that gentleness is not something I normally think about or pray about, like with the other fruits of the Spirit. I'm always asking God, help me have more love, help me have more patience, but I don't often think about asking for gentleness. How about for you guys? Is gentleness something that is on your radar, radar that you think about a lot? One thing that God really convicted me of this week is that in a culture that doesn't value gentleness, that preaches violence and encourages us to cling on to any earthly power that we have, that it is 
vital that we learn to value and practice gentleness. In a culture that encourages us to fight for our rights at the expense of others and to impose our power on others, as Christ followers, as people who want to follow the way of Jesus, we must earnestly seek God for the fruit of gentleness that only comes through communion with him. I found a quote um, from a pastor and author, which I think is on the next slide, um, that I think reveals a more biblical approach to gentleness than the one that our culture offers. It's a long quote, but it's a good quote, I promise. So in our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless. Not so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities as having strength under control, being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry or otherwise beside themselves, and possessing tact and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain their self-esteem and dignity. Instead of losing the gentle gain, instead of being ripped off and taken advantage of, they come out ahead. So Swindle reminds us in this quote that gentleness wields a different kind of power, a supernatural power. I've seen this power in nonviolent activists working for peace and justice in their neighborhoods. I've seen this power in fathers and mothers gently and tenderly caring for their children. I've seen this power in all of you teachers out there who for the 20th time that day when you could give your student a harsh rebuke when you choose to have a gentle word. And when a nurse offers a hug or a kind word to a struggling family or a chaplain, um, I see God's gentleness in all of you. And I really am coming to see that this unassuming, unexpected power of gentleness is a needed and refreshing drink, a living spring in our world that is steeped in violence and shame. And the biblical um, command to be gentle and to act with gentleness occurs 23 times in the Bible. And often the words gentleness and meekness are often translated interchangeably in both the Old and New Testaments. And in Hebrew, I learned that both words, um, the, you could like translate it to mean to be molded, to be molded. And so I'd never heard of gentleness referred to in that way before. So gentleness actually involves submitting to and relying on a power outside of ourselves. Not just any power, but a heavenly power, a godly power. And gentleness requires a willingness to be shaped and taught and molded by God and by God's power. So to be gentle is to realize that the power is no longer in our hands, but the power is in God's hands. And all of the power is God's. And moving to the New Testament, each scriptural reference that we find to gentleness gives a distinct invitation to imitate Christ in this and to model ourselves after him. And since Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God and who God is, if you're ever wondering what is God really like, all we have to do is to look at Jesus and Jesus is God with skin on. And so as Christians, we want to model our lives after Jesus. And so we want to examine this morning how Jesus um, 
display gentleness in his life and what Jesus's heart truly was. So if you were to describe Jesus's heart in only two words, what would they be? There is a right answer, but if you, if you want to throw some out, you can. Um, but I was thinking initially off the top of my head, powerful and truthful, or gracious and loving, or strong and forgiving. And Jesus does not leave us guessing, um, because in Matthew eleven twenty-nine, 29, this is the only place in scripture where Jesus describes what his heart for his people is like. He gives us a glimpse into what his true heart for us is. And so if you look up at the screen, you'll see Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. So Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know about you guys, but these words are such a balm to my soul every time that I hear them in one of my favorite passages of scripture. Dane Ortland writes beautifully about the heart of Jesus in his book called Gentle and Lowly. And so I'm going to read a quote of his, which I really appreciate about Jesus's heart and why it's important. So he says, the heart is a matter of life. It is what makes us the human being each of us is. The heart drives all we do. It is who we are. And when Jesus tells us what animates him most deeply, what is most true of him, when he exposes the innermost recesses of his being, what we find there is gentle and lowly, or gentle and humble. Who could ever have thought up such a savior? I love this question. Who could ever have thought up such a savior? One whose core essence is gentleness and humility, or lowliness is another word for it. And so we're going to keep coming back to that question. Because Jesus' first followers, they didn't get it either. They could not have thought up such a savior, a savior. I think of Peter, who is always ready to get out his sword and protect Jesus, and those of him who still follow Jesus today, I feel like at least I am continually dumbfounded that the God of the universe would choose to be most defined by a heart of gentleness and humility, by a heart of gentleness and lowliness. And when you really think about it, it is truly mind-blowing. Jesus, who is present at creation, Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, chose to come down to us as a baby boy under Roman occupation in a backcountry town of Nazareth. And he lived a life fully submitted to God's will, fully submitted to gentleness. And he had a life marked by love and compassion. And he ended up being killed by his own people and yet rising again victorious over sin and death. So the gentle power of Jesus, fully submitted to his Father, changed the world, changed the cosmos forever. So gentleness is not weak. Gentleness is not powerless. Gentle is power submitted to God under God's control. So Jesus, the creator, the king of the universe, 
reveals himself to us as meek, as humble, kind, approachable, tender, open, welcoming, the most understanding and loving person in the entire universe. And out of his gentle and humble heart, he invited his followers then, and he invites us now to a deep rest that only comes when we turn to him, when we run to him. Jesus and other places in Matthew, the Pharisees, are scolding him for eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus reminds them that it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And the only requirement to receive Jesus' rest is to recognize our neediness and to run to him. Jesus not only wants to save us from sin and death, but Jesus wants to refresh us and restore us and make us new and invite us into a kingdom life filled with the fruits of the Spirit. And Jesus especially came for those who are needy and burdened and burned out and overwhelmed by the world. That's what qualifies you for Jesus' help and Jesus' rest. Jesus wants to give us a new yoke, a kind yoke, that doesn't mean the ways of Jesus are easy or that the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount are easy. Um, loving our enemies, the things that Jesus teaches are the hardest things we could possibly do. But Jesus promises that we don't hold this yoke alone, um, that Jesus promises to bear it with us. And even now, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the person of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, can be with all of us in all times and all places, comforting us, healing us, advocating for us, and reminding us of what Jesus has told us. We also get a really vivid um, imagery and beautiful glimpse of Jesus' gentleness in Isaiah's prophecy um, that is recounted in the book of Matthew. So I think that might be on the next slide. So the prophet Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. He will not quarrel or, or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory, in his name the nations will put their hope. So this is striking imagery of a Messiah who the Jewish people thought was going to come on a war horse, sword in hand, ready to lead a military revolution against Rome. And instead, we are reminded that even a flimsy, fragile, little bruised reed, Jesus will not break. And these words occur in the middle of Jesus's most recent battle with the Pharisees in Matthew. He and the disciples are in the cornfields on the Sabbath, and they were hungry, and so they picked some of the corn and ate it. And the scribes and Pharisees came to them and said they were blaspheming the Sabbath. And Jesus silences them instantly and defends his disciples. But Jesus stops there. If I was Jesus, I would like bring in the troops from heaven or come down with some fiery darts. And that's how, you know, if you're God, that's how you would handle your enemies. Um, but he does not push his advantage or rub his authority and power in their faces and instead withdraws. And he leaves the Pharisees to do their thing and plot against him. And he goes with his disciples um, into a quieter part of Galilee. So we see that Jesus, like the scripture prophesies, doesn't strive or cry out and doesn't lift up his voice in the streets. 
In every way, Jesus could have silenced his opponents. With one glance, he could have destroyed his enemies. And instead, um, he seeks to be meek and humble and lowly, even in the midst of those who are trying to have him killed, of those who are oppressing him and hurting his ministry. Jesus, we see, does not use his power, which is all the power in the universe, against his enemies. Instead, he submits all of his power to God. And gentleness is this power submitted to God. And this is the way of Jesus' life. This is how Jesus saves the world, not through violence or force, but through an infinite and unfailing and so hard to understand gentleness. Christ's victory over sin and death is the result of radical gentleness and faithfulness and all of the fruits of the Spirit that we've talked about these past several weeks. So a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus is gentle with those who are weak and fragile or suffering. If you feel like you're about to break, um, Jesus will not shame you or trample you, um, but Jesus will gently tend to you. He doesn't use the force of his power to oppress or lord it over anyone, um, but seeks to reconcile the broken and strengthen those who are suffering. Who could have thought up a savior like this? At the same time we witness Jesus' radical gentleness in the Gospels, we also see Jesus' righteous anger at the same time throughout the Gospels. So how can we reconcile um, his gentleness and his anger? Through Jesus' example, we see that a righteous anger fully submitted to God is an essential part of the fruit of gentleness. And so we have a New Testament scholar in the room, so <laughs> forgive me, Reed. But Aristotle um, used the same New Testament Greek word for gentleness, um, prautes, and Aristotle uses this word to describe the middle point between really extreme anger and then extreme not being angry at all. And so Aristotle uses this word um, that is also found in the New Testament for gentleness as the midpoint um, between these two extremes of anger, which is not how I would think um, to define gentleness. But so to be gentle in God's kingdom, in the way of Christ, is to surrender our anger. It doesn't mean that we suppress our anger or repress it or deny it, but we give it to God. We're honest to God, or we're honest with God about it. And he helps us feel it for the right reasons, in the right way, and for the right amount of time. And through the inner strength that the Holy Spirit provides, we can have the ability miraculously to help harness our anger towards the kingdom of God. Because that's what Jesus did. Everything he was angry about was people who weren't repenting or people who were hindering people from entering and ushering in the kingdom of God. So even in gentleness, there is a space for anger that is submitted to God's power that is open to being molded and tended by God. So imagine with me for a minute, if all Christians, myself included, I don't practice this yet, but if we were all figured out how to fully submit our anger through the filter of gentleness and have God control our anger and help us mold it and shape it into the kingdom of God? Can you imagine what our life would be like? Can you imagine what our witness as Christians would be like? Um, Christians, we would be known for having amazing conversations with those who disagree with us, 
We would be known um, for loving our enemies. We would be known um, for having a supernatural power to advocate for those who are disrespected in society. This would be crazy and this would be amazing. And this is what God offers us as we learn more and more to surrender our power and our will um, to Christ and to God. We could be so different from our polarized and graceless society if we adopted this gentleness, this gentle anger that Jesus models for us. And so now is my favorite part because now I'm getting to recount some examples of Jesus' gentleness throughout the Gospels. There's so many. Um, and I just invite you to let the impact of hearing about Jesus' gentleness just in each of these stories, let it wash over you because um, we're so steeped in non-gentleness. So just let Jesus' gentleness um, wash over you and keep this question in mind. Who could have thought up such a savior? So one of my favorite stories of Jesus' gentleness is Jesus healing the woman who was bleeding for 12 years in Mark 5. So Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, and Jairus is a synagogue leader and a man of power. And on his way, Jesus encounters this bleeding woman who's rejected by society, by her family. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's broke from all of her medical bills. Um, she's ostracized from her society. So pretty much as marginalized as you could get, um, that's where this woman was. And so Jesus is in the crowd, and suddenly this woman grabs on to his cloak, and Jesus senses that power has left him. And I'm pretty sure Jesus knows everything, so I'm pretty sure he knew exactly who it was. But I think he called out and allowed the woman to have some dignity and agency so that she could proclaim aloud and be restored um, to her community as well. Because he asks, who touched me? And then I'm so amazed by this woman's bravery after her whole community is probably shaming her and maybe even despises her. And she comes up to Jesus and she shares her story. She tells him the truth that it was her. Um, and I just imagine, I feel like Jesus must have the kindest and gentlest eyes and the humblest and lowliest demeanor that this woman would feel comfortable to proclaim in the midst of this big crowd that, yes, Jesus, it was me. And so I wish we could have seen um, Jesus's countenance and his tone and his manner in which he said these words. Um, but just listen to what he told this woman who is suffering. And just imagine the kindest, most gentlest, um, humblest, lowliest um, countenance. And that's according to what Jesus says about himself and about his heart. That's what we could have expected from him in this encounter. So Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So that story is just a powerful example of how Jesus' words can be so gentle and empowering and how Jesus wants to intentionally restore us on all levels holistically and how Jesus, his pure heart, is one of gentleness and lowliness and humility. And like Jesus was present to the woman in this story, he listened to her, he saw her, he noticed her. Jesus is present to all of us, no matter what we're going through or no matter what our families are going through. And Jesus wants us to come to him and to, he wants to hear our own story. Um, and he wants, 
As we come to him, as we recognize our need for him, he also wants to call out to us as daughter, daughters and sons. And I'm also struck um, so much by Jesus' gentle creativity in another story, which is the story of the woman caught in adultery. And so in this story, the men come to Jesus and they force the woman who is caught um, to go in the middle. And so all the eyes are on her. And I just imagine all the men surrounding her and kind of getting high on their power and excited to judge her. And they're trying to get Jesus, Jesus involved and trap him. And I'm just struck by what Jesus does. Jesus is so smart, but he leans down. And so instead of all everyone looking at the woman over here, I'm just imagining all the eyes came down to him and Jesus kind of absorbs all of the shame that was directed at her. And then he writes something in the sand. So that's another question I want to ask Jesus is what in the world was he writing in the sand? Was it like a secret message that just the woman could see? Was it um, like calling out the men in the group? I have no idea, but I really want to know. Or was it just a smiley face? Like who knows what he could have been um, drawing in the sand. But so he draws in the sand and then he gets up and he, of course, says to everyone, um, you who have no sin, um, be the first to throw the stone. And they were all ready. They were going to throw it. But then they all end up leaving and walking away. And then Jesus stands up again and the woman is still there. And he asks if they have condemned her. And she says, no. Um, and then Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declares. Go now and leave your life of sin. And again, this is another time um, where I would love to see Jesus' tone and countenance and how he told this woman. Um, but I just imagine that he shared um, this truth with her with such grace and with such love and with such gentleness. And that he does not condemn her, but he has such a bigger vision for her life than she could ever imagine. And he's inviting her into a kingdom way of living to repent and to leave her life of sin and to turn towards him. And that is just a perfect picture of Jesus's gentleness. Again, who could ever have thought of a savior like this? We could never have made this up. Um, I also think of Zacchaeus, who is hated and ostracized in his community. But he was a curious dude. He really wanted to know about Jesus. And the crowd was probably blocking him out because they didn't like him. Or he was short. I don't really know. But then he runs ahead and climbs in the tree. And Jesus intentionally, it seems, comes to him and seeks him out. And then Jesus invites himself over to dinner. And again, I wish I could see his manner in this interaction. Because I'm imagining him with just a lot of joy saying, Zacchaeus. I'm having dinner at your house today. Like, I'm coming over. Let's do this. Um, and just breaking down a lot of the shame and a lot of the barriers um, that Zacchaeus probably faced. And a lot of the people would have been so shocked that Jesus would have extended um, love and grace to this man who did a lot of sin. And Jesus does invite him um, into repentance later. And we'll see that um, later in this story. But it's just fun to imagine the gentleness and grace of Jesus as he greets Zacchaeus um, up in the tree. And finally, um, there's so many stories, but the ones that I really love are all in all the Gospels when Jesus repeatedly welcomes and centers the children. So when the disciples are going off about power and status, 
Jesus just calls a child to the center um, and shows them, this is the way of my kingdom. This is who I value. And I don't know if you guys have seen The Chosen yet. Normally, I can be pretty wary of some Christian movies. They're good, but they can sometimes be cheesy. But The Chosen is great. I do recommend it. Um, And one of my favorite episodes is episode three, which involves Jesus and the children. And so they kind of imagine what this would have been like. And so it's one of the earlier episodes, and they imagine it that Jesus' first disciples were these kids who were around his camp, and they were like sneaking up and trying to see what this guy was doing. And then they sensed that he would be welcoming and a good guy. And so they just start building things with him, and he starts teaching them, and they ask him questions. And so I just think it's an amazing um, potential example of maybe what Jesus also did. And it just shows that Jesus was so gentle and so lowly and so humble that even children um, would feel welcomed and would just run up to him um, because they could sense that gentleness and that lowliness of heart um, from Jesus. So if those um, stories haven't excited you or reminded you that we have a Savior who is approachable, who is tender, who is accessible and gentle, who also rails against injustice for the most marginalized, Um, then I'm curious, what is your favorite story of Jesus' gentleness in the Gospels? Maybe it's Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well where he asks her um, for a drink, trying to maybe fix some of the power dynamics there. Or maybe it's when the woman who comes with this big um, bottle of perfume and pours it over Jesus and The Pharisees are like, what is this woman doing? Or even the disciples, this is, what a waste. This is horrible. And Jesus just greets her with such um, kindness and such gentleness. Or maybe it's when Jesus greets blind Bartimaeus outside of the um, walls of Jericho and gives him dignity and asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Um, Or maybe it's when Jesus was reinstating Peter and asked him, Peter, do you love me? Or maybe it's, the story of the paralyzed man. Imagine a paralyzed man coming through this roof right now and like bits of the ceiling falling down and Jesus just had such compassion um, and gentleness even in that interaction. So again, who could have thought up a savior like this? One whose truest heart is gentleness and lowliness. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gentle spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, the one of lowliness and humility and gentleness can be our comfort and our advocate in all times and all places too. And so I'm also curious how you might have personally experienced God's gentleness in your life. Maybe a friend um, texts you at just that moment that you needed prayer and they said that they were praying for you. Or maybe God, through your intuition, has given you a warning that maybe you or someone you loved was going down a wrong path. Or maybe there was a time where you thought your prayer was too small or too petty for God to care about, yet God in his abundance and his gentleness um, assured you and showed you um, through answering that prayer that he cares about even the smallest of our longings. Or maybe you've experienced the still, small voice of God that is often kinder than we could ever imagine, that's in direct conflict with the lies that the enemy wants us to believe or that our own flesh um, wants us to believe. Or maybe at your worst moment, 
when you were broken before God. You knew that Jesus was there approaching you without con condemnation, but with open arms. Or maybe in grief, when you felt that you've lost everything, you still sense Jesus's quiet and gentle presence with you, even as tears were streaming down your face. And maybe you've experienced the gentleness of God and his living word that can somehow pierce our hearts and somehow meet us exactly where we're at every time through the power of God's spirit. So I pray that this week, our eyes would continue to be more open to receive and to see and to offer the threads of gentleness and the cords of human kindness, as um, the book of Hosea in the Old Testament puts it, that our Savior is constantly weaving together in our lives. This is what God does. This is who God is. And so the gentleness um, with which a loving father might approach a newborn child or how Pastor John um, cares for Annie, his first granddaughter, um, he gives us the thumbs up, is probably how the God of the universe approaches us in Jesus and through Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit, one of gentleness and lowliness that can be with us in all times and all places. So if we have this example and if we are empowered by this gentle and humble spirit, we too are invited to walk in this way of gentleness. So I don't know about you guys, but this is not something that I've experienced as super easy in my life and not something um, that I think I've always received a bunch as well. So it's not, again, it's something that seems to be rare in our society. And so I think that first, the first step to practicing this gentleness begins with a surrender to God's power, a willingness to be molded by God. And I think our journey towards gentleness, it's going to be more like a spiral, more like a seashell that spirals down than a linear journey, because I think we're going to have some stops and starts um, and a lot of mess-ups on the way. But as we grow closer to Jesus, as we abide more and more in the vine, as we drink of the living waters of God and his spirit, the more and more we do that, the more and more God will root and plant his gentleness within us. And the more and more we will see that fruit evident in our lives. And so when I think of examples of gentleness from this week, um, you guys all got to hear a little bit from Aiden. Um, but I think of Aiden. So Aiden just got here um, and just jumped right in. And he has been um, sitting with and learning from and listening to the stories of the homeless folks that come on our campus pretty much every weekday. And so Aiden has a little kitchen cart he'll wheel around. He bought a bunch of produce and um, is just handing out produce and waters and um, desserts and just sitting down and really being with people and really listening to their stories and really just radiating um, the gentleness of God to those who are often used to being scorned or ignored or forgotten. Um, so just that simplicity of treating people with dignity and respect and valuing people um, that society might not value, I think is a really beautiful example of gentleness. Um, and I also think of Val and Travis um, in their work. <laughs> Sorry to call you out. Um, I feel like they really embody gentleness. So Travis is a hospital chaplain, and so Travis walks with people and offers the gentleness of Christ to people in some of their best moments and their worst moments of their lives. And so he's a real example of gentleness. And Val as well, she's a homeless outreach caseworker, and so she provides um, 
both social, spiritual, emotional, and physical support and goes out in the streets and meets with homeless folks and helps them um, advocate for them and be a support on their journey. Um, so that's another example of gentleness that we can think of as we seek to follow God in our own journey of gentleness. And lastly, is Larry Hartman here? But I think of Larry Hartman. Larry, wherever you are, we love you. Um, I think of the way that Larry gently cares for his wife, and Larry also goes out into the community and offers um, sandwiches and lunches to those who are in homeless um, camps, and I think he's been doing that for quite a long time, so he's another great example. So as we've learned, um, gentleness is not something we can strive or muster up on our own, but it comes from God. It comes from submitting our lives and our will to God. And since we are all different and since God is going to call us in all different ways, um, I'm going to close our time with a prayer through Matthew 28, verses 28 through 30. So I'm going to lead us in a guided prayer. And if you want to participate, great. And if not, you can just pray um, on your own. And all of this prayer can just happen um, in your heart. And here at Living Spring, or as Christians, we believe that God is personal and that God wants to interact with us and to speak to us. Um, so if you're open to that, um, expect that God can use your imagination and his still small voice um, to communicate with you. So if you want, I invite you to sit back in your chair and close your eyes. And I'm going to lead us through a prayer. And then after that, um, we're going to have our final song. And then I'll come up for the blessing. So Jesus, we thank you, God, that your truest heart is one of humility and gentleness, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you invite us to rest, God. So I just invite you to picture um, one of your favorite places. Um, just let your imagination go. Maybe it's the beach or a friend's house that you really love or a backyard from your childhood. Just imagine um, a safe and restful place for you. And then if you're, if you're sensing that you have any burdens that you're carrying, um, Jesus, would you just show us what those burdens look like in our hands or in this time of prayer, God, just show us those things that we're holding on to, what that looks like. And in our scripture, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Um, so if you're willing, I invite you to give whatever that burden is, whatever it looks like, um, to hand it to Jesus and give it to Jesus. And then Jesus, as we hand um, these burdens and these worries and these things that could be crushing us, God, um, that are such a big weight, God, as we hand them to you, um, would you show us, Lord, what you're doing with it? What are you doing with these things that we hand to you? Jesus, you promise us rest and you promise us um, a yoke that is easy because we are with you, God. Um, so would you show us if there's anything, any gifts, Lord, that you want to give to us um, as we seek you this morning.
Jesus, as we receive your gentleness and your humility and your care for ourselves, God, we have to receive that first. Um, as we've hopefully received that from you this morning, God, would you highlight, would you show us if there's a particular way or a particular person um, that you are inviting us to have gentleness towards? So show us, Jesus, how you want to clothe us in gentleness. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God beyond our wildest imaginations. Even if we tried, we couldn't come up with a savior, with your humility, with your kindness, with your love for justice, with your heart for the marginalized, with your humility um, in the incarnation and death and resurrection. So God, we worship you this morning. Um, we thank you for your gentleness and we just invite your gentleness to permeate and to fill our lives and to overflow to our families and to our friends, um, and that your spirit of gentleness would fill us and go before us this week. And so we submit our wills to you, God. We want to come under your power and your authority, and we pray all of this in your powerful and gentle name, Jesus. Amen. So if you're not already standing, I invite you to please stand for the blessing. So in the name of the Father who carries the lambs gently in his arms, and in the name of Jesus, whose heart, whose truest heart is gentleness and humility, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who comes to us to advocate for us, to comfort us, and to gently lead us towards Christ, Go forth this week, letting the gentleness of Christ fill you and transform you from within. So go in peace, living spring, and have an awesome week. And happy Father's Day.